Well, good morning again. Uh, we are excited to be kicking off this series here called I Quit. Uh, and we are looking at how we can help you and ourselves break up with perhaps the most unhealthy relationships we've ever had in our lives. And that's the relationships we have with fear, worry, and anxiety. And maybe those aren't the words you use for them. Maybe it's concern. Maybe it's thoughtfulness. Maybe it's planning. But uh, irregardless, we all have these things that we wrestle with to a certain degree. And so we want to help us break up with them and get in some better relationships with our emotions. And did you know that according to the National Institute of Health, one out of every three adults, 30% of all adults will struggle with an anxiety disorder in their lifetime. This isn't a, a Christian data. This is a secular data saying one out of three. So every three of you, according to this data, uh, will struggle with this according to the statistics. Now, I would say that's probably actually a conservative number because if you were to ask me on any questionnaire sheet, uh, if I marked anxiety, worry, or fear, I'm probably not going to mark them, but they're in my life, right? And so uh, realistically, it's probably a much higher number than that. And like I said, we use different words for them. We don't use worry or fear. We use concern and thoughtfulness and planning. And what I want to help us see this morning, those are different words with different meanings. You're going to have to do some work in your heart as we go through this uh, series to figure out where you land on that. We'll give you some tools to do that. But did you know Jesus actually had a lot to say about fear, worry, and anxiety? And in fact, throughout the Bible, there's over 300 references to uh, how God would call us to handle the fears in our life. And the fears that he addresses are legitimate fears, and yet he gives us a pathway for them. And so uh, this morning, what I want to do is I want to just lay a couple thoughts before you to consider, and then I want to give you four ways on how you can break up with fear, worry, and anxiety, or at least start the process of removing some of these uh, habits or bad relationship that you have with emotions. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, would love for you to jump into Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have your Bibles, or if you don't have one, we would love to get one for free back at the Welcome Center there. Uh, if not, it'll be on the screen here behind me. But in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus has a great deal to say about our fear, worry, and anxiety. We're going to start in verse 21. Here's what it says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I just want to, we're going to kind of walk through a couple of verses at a time as we go through this. But Jesus says something incredibly profound as he's getting into this conversation. He said, uh, where your treasure is, what you find most valuable in your life, your heart will naturally uh, go towards that thing. And you know this to be true because there's certain things that you really like and enjoy because you, and you treasure them, you're emotionally attached to them that nobody else cares about, right? There are certain passion points that you have. What that means is your heart and your emotions are going to move towards whatever you find valuable. If you don't find something valuable, you're not going to really worry about it or care about it. Well, that is true for our emotions, but it's also true for our worries. You see, our worries attach themselves to the things that we value. You worry about things that you really care about. I worry about things that I really care about. And how do I know this is true? Because I don't worry about the Boston Red Sox or how much knitting equipment has gone up in price. Like, I just don't. Why? Because I don't care about those things. No offense, Joanna. Your knitting is amazing. Red Sox, I meant every offense of that, okay? I just don't care about those things. In the same way, you don't care that the Golden State Warriors missed two game winners last night to lose the first game to the Kings. I care a great deal about that. And in fact, my emotions were pretty attached to that loss last night that it took me about half an hour to fall asleep because I was all worked up about it. What is that? It's because we worry about the things that we value. And, and that's natural. What it should signal to us, really, is that you found something you care when you begin to feel worry about it. 
But Jesus, through this conversation, is going to be pretty frank with us about what we do with those worries and emotions and how uh, we ought to keep them in their proper place and what begins to happen when those emotions get out of their rightful order. Jump down to verse 24 with me. It said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus makes a very polarizing statement and said, you can't uh, love money and love God equally. If you notice, as you go through this verse, there's a lot of emotion uh, that Jesus writes about through here, right? He said, you will hate or you will love. You'll be devoted or you will despise. And ultimately, those emotions will lead to what we serve our life with. Do you, you catch that? Like if you hate something and you despise it, are you going to give your life in service to it? No, you're not. But if you love something and you're devoted to it, you'll serve, right? Like if you love your kids, you're devoted to your kids, you will serve your kids. The argument Jesus is making here is that whatever you find valuable, you will be emotionally invested in and you will begin to serve your life with it. You will begin to make decisions according to that thing. And Jesus makes this polarizing statement at the end saying, you can't have it both ways. Something has to be the God of your life. It can't be money and God. It's one or the other. But what I want you to see here is that your emotions are actually really important because our emotions or my emotions reveal my devotion. When I find myself worked up and riled up about something, it's because I'm really devoted to that matter or that cause or that principle or whatever it might be. You find yourself uh, going up and down maybe emotionally based on the things you really care about, right? So when the Warriors are winning, I'm just going to use this example because it's easy. When the Warriors are winning, my emotions are pretty high. I'm pretty excited about life. When they're not, I'm, my wife is probably finding a different room to watch the game in, okay? But Jesus' argument here is in regards to money, right? So let's talk about money for a second. If you're devoted to money, well, how do you know? Because when your bank account's going up and up and up, there's a whole bunch of smiles on your face and you are loving life. Bank account starts making a downturn. Your emotions start to move with it. It reveals that what you find valuable is indicated by your emotions. And this is actually a really helpful thing for us because it allows us to know uh, kind of the condition of our heart. And emotions are valuable. But here's what I think has happened as I listen to the narrative of culture around emotions, I think this phrase is getting rewritten to be something else. And here's what I would say I'm hearing the phrase being rewritten to, is that our emotions have become our devotion. They no longer just reveal what our hearts are devoted to. The emotions have become the very thing we are devoted to. And so what that means is our feelings, how I feel about things, have really become our supreme authority as our guide for making decisions. Well, why are you doing that? Because I feel like it. Why are you not doing that? Well, because I feel like it, or I'm whatever word you want to put there, they really have become our God. There's a quote I want to read to you. It's not going to be on the screen here behind me, but it's by a writer and a theologian, Thaddeus Williams. He comments on this kind of shift. He said, for most of human history, feelings were the kind of things that could be embraced, resisted, ignored, celebrated, chastened, silenced, trained, or challenged. Our ancestors could do a lot with their emotions. The freedom of our day is far more limiting. You have one option when it comes to your heart, and that is to follow it. Anyone who tells you otherwise is a bigot, a phobic, a hater, or worse. 
Given the unprecedented authority granted to emotion in our day, it's accurate to describe this age as the age of feeling. In Disney's Mulan soundtrack, Stevie Wonder teaches young impressionable minds, don't think so much. You must be true to your heart. Your heart can tell you no lies. Packed auditorium of adolescents sing in unison with pop star Jojo Siwa, no, no, nobody can change me, change me. I follow my own lead. Once you get to know me, you'll see, got all these emotions, they're guiding every moment. Our age of feeling is hardly stable. It's collapsing all around us into the age of anxiety. We are told that anxiety disorders now affect one-third of adolescents between the ages of 13 and 18. It's no accident that the age of feeling is giving way to the age of anxiety. And I think his point is really interesting. That we've submitted as a culture that what I feel is right, and if we really survey the results of those decisions, I don't think we actually like the results we're getting. Mental health crisis would tell us that it's not really working for us. And so how do we not only begin to take back the territory of our emotions, but also begin to follow Christ's words on these things? Because uh, what Christ is going to call us to through these next uh, several passages is that we would uh, not be devoted to our emotions, but we would begin to subject our emotions to truth, and that would become our guiding post. And so I want to help you do that by beginning to break up with fear and worry. So here's, here's the first thing I want us to see this morning, four points for us this morning that I would encourage you, if you're taking notes to the app, you can go ahead and write these down. Uh, if you're on the piece of the communication card in front of you, go ahead and write these down. Here's the first way we want to tell worry that you quit, and it's to confront the lie. Behind every piece of worry and anxiety uh, rests some lie that we are believing and that's causing us to lose our peace. And so I want to show you out of the text the, the lie that Jesus confronted. It was in verse 24. The lie Jesus confronted was you cannot serve both God and money. Well, the lie is that I can have uh, two competing things in my life or that money and God are equally valuable or that if it really came down to a coin flip, God and money are both as equally useful. Now, if we didn't find them useful, we wouldn't be devoted to it. You don't devote yourself to things that you think are useless. And so the argument here that Jesus is making is it's just not true. It is not accurate that your life can be divided in devotion. And so he confronts that first lie. Now, I I don't know what the lie is that you're believing, but you can replace money in there with whatever it is for you. You cannot serve uh, your kid's safety and God, right? There's just, you could layer and layer and layer on whatever it is. And I actually wrote down a few of these lies to maybe help you unpack what we're talking about here. Maybe as you're wrestling with fear and anxiety, uh, it's really related around this idea of provision. Well, the lie behind that would be that God doesn't care about you and he's not capable to provide for you. Now, you might not articulate those words, but if you're struggling to believe God is going to provide, deep down, there is this lie you're believing that God's not capable to come through. We'll talk more about that at length later on in the sermon. Maybe for you, anxiety is about what people think about you or their opinions of you. Uh, You really just, uh, you write all the conversations in your head before you get there so you're prepared so they don't feel like you look foolish, right? There's just a lot of anxiety around that. Well, the lie that I think, there's a bunch of lies that could sit under a lot of these, but the lie that sits underneath there most often is that uh, people have the ability to add or give value to your life. That what people think of you really is that supremely important that it would change your very value. Well, the truth to that is the fact that God determined your value when he put his image on you. And so what people think about you, it has some weight and some bearing, but it does not change your worth as a human being. And so the lie is uh, that people's opinions really are greater than they need to be. 
Maybe your fear is that you'll mess up your future with a wrong decision. Uh, the lie underneath that really is that we don't believe God can redeem our bad choices. And maybe you're even staring down two good choices and you don't know which one to take. And it feels like if you mess up this decision, God's just going to get rid of you forever. Below there is this lie that you don't think God is sovereign enough to work within our choices and that he can't redeem us. The truth is nothing is irredeemable. Maybe it's fear of failure. You, You just, you don't step out. You don't do things really largely because of fear of failure. Well, the lie underneath there is that your failure is final. But the truth is, the only thing that's final is what Jesus did for you on the cross. That's the final word spoken over your life. And so as you go through this, I would encourage you, uh, next time you're feeling anxious, next time you're feeling worried, pause and go, okay, what, what lie, what untruth have I settled into that has allowed me to just lose my peace and begin to correct that with the word of God? Genesis chapter 3, the very first sin that ever was committed was a lie. It was a twist of truth about God's character that, that appealed to the emotions, appetites, and desires of man that ultimately caused them to steer away from God. It's the same trick that's been played on us the whole time. But once you've confronted that lie, here's the next piece. You have to begin to confess the worry. Confess the worry. And here's what I mean. When you've realized that lie, either it's about God's character or it's about somebody else or maybe it's something about yourself, would you just uh, take a moment and, and say, all right, Here's the lie, and I confess that I was believing ABC, whatever it is. God, would you forgive me? And just pray, God, uh, I haven't been trusting you lately. Uh, Frankly, I'm a little nervous that you're going to show up and do what I I believe that you ought to do. Would you forgive me, one, for not trusting you? And two, would you meet me in this place and speak truth to me? Now, here's the wrestle we have to uh, wrestle with. When does it cross over from... uh, Legitimate concern, legitimate work, is there are things in your life that you should be concerned about, and that's okay. When does it cross over from concern to actually sinful fear when you've displaced God? Well, here's two, there's a bunch of them, but here's two big indicators. When that thought or worry or pattern begins to control your emotions, when it has uh, overridden your peace, your joy, and it really has uh, consumed your thought life, right? Like if you should be thinking about something else, but you're just obsessively thinking about something over here, it's an indicator that it's moved out, that emotion has moved out of its rightful place as a warning signal into where where God would put it in competition for our allegiance to him. Then that will progress itself into dictating your decisions, which is our next one. When it begins to dictate your decisions, and here's what I mean. When you know you should be doing something, but you're so worried about this thing or so stressed about this thing that you're not doing the things you're supposed to be doing. Right? For example, you are so stressed about provision and you know God has asked you to be generous, but you just, you won't. You won't obey God because you're stuck dealing with this fear that you're not going to have enough. Right? Those would be indicators that that concern about financial future has shifted to the point where it's affecting our obedience. And so uh, the only way you can really get there is, is, there's a couple ways, but through prayer, through the word of God, and through mature people in the community beginning, beginning to help you identify those things. And there's a wrestle in here that people talk about a lot, like is worry sin? I think Jesus would argue there's a point where worry becomes sin. When it does, we have to uh, recognize it, confess it, and move on. So we've confronted it. We've confessed it. Let's see what Jesus has for us next here in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store, store away in barns. And yet your father, your heavenly father, feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Jesus asks two really uh, important rhetorical questions here. He said, uh, basically, do you think you're more valuable than a bird? Right? And you're like, yeah, of course I am. His argument is, if you really believe that God cares for the birds and you are more valuable than God, we have to believe the truth that God does care about you. He cares about your situation. He cares about your struggles. He cares about your need for provision. He does care about those things. The second question, rhetorical question he asks is, uh, do you believe that God really is the author of life? Or are you the author of life? Can your worry make you live longer? And his argument is, no, you you can't. You don't have the power. And so he's really getting us to ask a very basic question. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, this is a question you have to wrestle with as well. It's it's two-part. Do I believe God cares? And if he does care, is he powerful enough to do anything about it? Those are the two wrestles that, that we need to deal with, with fear, worry, and anxiety in regards to trusting Christ. If he does see me, can he solve my problem? And if we can confront the lie that he can or whatever, we'll begin to find this promise that he's giving us and what we see here in verse 28. He says, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little he brings it back to them, and he said, listen, these things that are temporary and fading, God, God even cares for those, and you and I as humans are eternal. God has written eternity on our hearts. And so he said, do you think that if I'm going to care for these temporary things that I'm going to forget you? And if we're being honest this morning, in the quiet moments of our heart, we'd answer yes to that sometimes. And that seems scary to say that in church, but it's true. Why? Because we're human, because we have a broken picture of who God is, which is uh, the third way that we combat fear and worry is by correcting that picture and is believing that God is faithful and caring. If I'm willing to confront the lie and then confess to God the struggles that I'm dealing with, and then I begin to rewrite my emotions with truth, I begin to put the guardrails back in my life that regardless of what my circumstances look like, I know he is faithful and I know he cares. I might not see it in the way I expected to see it right now, but it will not cause me to doubt the fact that I know he cares for me more than anything else. That we as humans are his prized creation. We bear his image, which means he cares about us greatly. You know how often if we could slow ourselves down and just begin to correct our thinking about God, the fears that we live in would just begin to dissipate? They begin to fade away. And ultimately, if we believe that God is better at this thing of being God than we are, it'd be a huge help. Many of you uh, were around, and some of you weren't. When my oldest was about four months old, he had a pretty uh, tragic accident, and he fell, and he fractured his skull. Um, And I was about uh, 45 minutes away when I got the phone call, and we had very bad reception at my house. And uh, the phone call came through as Jocko car parking lot accident click. That's all I got. 
And so I didn't know what happened. I tried to call back. Nobody was answering the phone. I couldn't find out which hospital they were in. I eventually found out which hospital they were in. And then uh, God bless COVID restrictions. It took me a, a good arm wrestle to even get into the room to see my son. Uh, and it was just this moment where that 45-minute drive, um, there's no cops in here. It went quick, but it took forever, if you know what I mean. It was the longest drive ever because the whole time I was sitting there writing this narrative of one of my deepest fears in my life, which was losing a kid. It's, it's, a, it's a normal fear. And yet here I was, unknowing about what was in front of me. And as I was driving, I just began to wrestle with the Lord, saying, God, I know that uh, you are the author of life. I know that you give and take away. I know that song that I hated in the early 2000s, blessed be your name for you give and take away. Like I, I just, those words were ringing through my head. And the whole time, I just had to keep coming back to the fact that God is a better author of life than I am. And if this was the story God was choosing to write, he had a purpose. Now, I was praying he had a different purpose in a different story. Let me not lie to you. But I had to come back to that point. I was almost in a panic attack. I'd never experienced one of those in my life. And then I just began to settle in. Say, okay, God, you're better at this than me. You care a lot more for Jocko than I do. You care a lot more for my wife than I do. So I have to trust you. Now, I probably had to tell myself that 400 times in a 45-minute drive but when I showed up at the hospital and I saw my son, I just was reminded of that moment again. He's better at this than us. How many of us by worrying can add a single hour to our life? Just keep reading in verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Let me clarify this phrase. Maybe the word pagan is uh, new to you. This is a New Testament term for literally those who, just, those who don't have a relationship with God, those who don't know Jesus as their leader and forgiver. Here's what Jesus is saying. He said, it makes sense that a world that doesn't know they have a heavenly father that loves them and cares about them and has moved to action on their behalf, it makes sense that they're worried. Because life is difficult and, and life is hard and there's unexpected things that happen. He said, it's, it's totally logical for somebody who doesn't follow God to deal with fear and anxiety. He said, but for us as followers of God, listen, we know. We know we have a heavenly father. We know the heavenly father is loving and faithful and caring. We know those facts. And so Jesus is compelling us to leave behind worry because we know with confidence the God up there is far better than the God I think I can be in my own life. And then he gives us his final piece of advice here. Verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus makes this compelling promise. He said, if we would shift our devotion out of the kingdom of us, out of the kingdom of self, out of the kingdom of my money, my house, my job, my security, whatever it is that you worry about, if you could shift that devotion over to God and his heart, so you begin to get the things that you need, and you'll get a whole lot more. Here's the fourth way that we can tell worry we quit. By seeking first what will last. The whole argument Jesus has just made here is that we spend so much of our life stressing about things that are temporary, and what he's offering us in exchange is not only the provision of the things we need in the temporary, but an enjoyment of the things in eternity. What if... Your emotions and my emotions started to be connected to what God cared about, not what the world cared about. 
What if your emotions were directly tied to how many people you got to influence with the gospel that week? What if you got so excited about those things? What if our hearts begin uh, to love and serve the things that God loves and serves, which is the least of these? And you got the most excited when you had an opportunity to serve somebody who is the least of these. What if our emotions were so devoted to the kingdom of God that we began to love the things God loves, began to hate the things God hates, and began to serve him with our whole heart with no competition in there? The promise, if we'll do that, is not only do you get all the things that you're chasing already, but you get a whole lot more. See, all fear and worry ever give us is less. We think they give us more, but they only ever take from us. And so the invitation of Jesus and the invitation to this series is to find the more in life, more peace, more joy, more contentment, more provision as God does what only God can do. So if you missed them, here they are for you again. We confront the lie, we'd confess the worry, we'd believe God is faithful and caring, and we'd seek first what is last. Now, you can't do this alone. If this is a deep-rooted struggle for you, and this is something that you've wrestled with for a long time, you're going to have to both invite the Lord into that space, and you're going to need to invite somebody who really deeply cares about you into that space. Because there's going to be times where you can't uh, preach to yourself, Like you're just so wrapped up in your fear and anxiety that you can't even begin to start this process and you need to be able to verbalize it with somebody who's going to help you say, hey, 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 I'm not sure that's totally true. Can we we walk through what you might be believing here? Here's what God would speak to you. So if you don't have that in your life, uh, we'd encourage you to to jump into a small group or find that. The other thing that I would encourage you to do is is to get in God's word. Um, You can go onto the YouVersion app. If you don't have it, we can get you the link for it. There are hundreds of incredible um, Bible studies in there on worry, on fear, and anxiety. Uh, Max Licato's Anxious for Nothing uh, is a really good one on there. I'd encourage you to look that one up if you haven't uh, found one already. And just get in the Word in a way that God would begin to speak truth over your mind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And God, it's with confession of my own heart as I think about where I spent my mental energy recently, that I recognize that there's probably some lies I'm believing about your ability to come through in the areas I need you to come through. And today, God, I just want to confess those. You see them, you know them, and today, God, I ask that you would take them. And I pray that you would rewrite my heart, my emotions, to be devoted to the things that you care about. God, we need your help to do these things. We're incapable of doing it on our own. But thank you for your word. And thank you that it doesn't give any exception clauses in there for my types of worry. But you've called all of us to freedom to leave behind at all. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.